Hello, everyone, and welcome to C-View Quantum Network. I'm your presenter, Daniel, and I'm here with producer Claudia Pareco. Our opening song features Reach for the Stars from Cyclone's new album, Showtime, available on all music stores and platforms. A moment of your time is one of the most extraordinary gifts we could ever be given. We are honored every time we've received a moment of your time. We are servants of the new age, the time of prophecy, the time of the ascending sixth sun. We are a platform for alchemists and multidimensional souls. We connect with many planes of reality and assist the awakening journey. We are pure light, transmitters of high vibrational light out into reality. Our shows are held on Fridays at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. At any moment to participate on our shows, please call 805-830-8344 and press 1 to talk with the host. Call for free at 805-830-8344 and wait in line or you can use Take My Call. And for $11, you can jump the long list of callers. Do so at www.paypal.me slash P-U-R-E-C-O slash 11. And then please PM or email Claudia Pareco at cview1111 at gmail.com and include the phone number you'll be using to call the show. All of our podcasts are easily found in all social media and are available free, live, or on demand. To request a show, please write to Claudia Pareco at cview1111 at gmail.com or visit our website, cview1111.net. Now, let's listen to our host and topic of the day. Danny and welcome everybody to CVU 2022 Messages from Metatron Topic Illness and Healing with Debbie Nina Bingham. And today we are very happy to welcome everybody to one more of our podcast to this uh, our podcast to the group uh, Messages from Metatron with author Devin Nina Bingham. We meet every third Friday at noon, 12 here on TV, and I hope you will join us each month. Now, let's introduce the author of Messages from Metatron, Debbie Nina Bingham, but we call her Nina. She's an author, a life coach, a clinical hypnotherapist, and a sound therapist. Welcome to the show, Nina. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you, Claudia. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Messages from Metatron podcast study group. If you're listening for the first time, I want to explain what this is all about. So Messages from Metatron is a curriculum. It's a program for self-transformation that is spiritual but non-denominational, so anybody can participate. And included in the book is a study guide, and that's what we are studying and discussing with you, our audience. So uh, we welcome you, and we also welcome your feedback. Thank you, Nina. Today, our lesson of the book, as I said before, is illness and healing. And we will take callers with questions. Even if you haven't read the book, you can still participate in our study group. But it will be easier for you if you have read the book. The ebook sells for $15 on Amazon, but Nina is offering the ebook for free to CDU listeners only. To request your free copy, go to CDU website www.cview. 1111.net. Go to Debbie Nina's show page and you'll find the form so you can get your ebook free. 
Yes, I would love to give everybody a free ebook, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. Uh, okay, so let's jump into our messages from Metatron for this month entitled Illness and Healing. Uh, Metatron begins this important message with a look into our future. And he says that mind-body medicine, or what we call alternative medicine, or holistic medicine, will be practiced in the future rather than uh, the medical system that we have now uh, that is definitely not based on treating the whole person, but on breaking the body up into areas of specialization. So at this time, the Western medical model sees the patient as many pieces of a puzzle. There's so many specialists. You have the heart doctor, the eye doctor, uh, the foot doctor, <laughs> the surgeons, uh, the OBGYN, uh, the dentist, lung doctor, pulmonary doctor, and the ear, nose, and throat doctors. Uh, who am I forgetting? So mm-hmm. Western medicine has broken the body down into a series of specialists. Oh, let's not forget mental health practitioners, uh, the psychologists, psychiatrists. Uh, neurologists and the psychotherapists. So the human brain and body becomes this puzzle with many pieces. And what happens to a puzzle when you lose a piece? Let's say your dog eats a puzzle piece right in the center. What happens to your beautiful puzzle? It's ruined, isn't it? Yeah. You can't complete the puzzle because you need every single piece. And this is a good analogy that illustrates what happens to our health uh, when one of the specialists drops the ball. It affects the entire system. I mean, let's just take mental health, a cause that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm a psychology and counseling student, and I lost a teenage daughter to depression. So what happens if a severely depressed person doesn't get treatment or doesn't take their medicine as prescribed, that would cause a whole system failure, couldn't it? Or what if a heart patient doesn't take their medicine? Or somebody with diabetes doesn't monitor their blood sugar levels? You could have a complete system failure. So Metatron points out that the system we have now sees the individual as many parts and that this system has not benefited the patient because if one specialist misdiagnoses you or you're given the wrong medicine, can't get in to see your healthcare provider, it doesn't affect the doctor, does it? He's got one less patient to deal with. This medical system impacts the patient's in a negative way, system failure. So he explains that as medicine evolves, that it'll be redesigned so that it follows a more holistic approach wherein the whole person is treated. And he doesn't say how this is going to happen, only that it will, and that this system he calls the mind-body system. And I, for one, am totally in favor of a redesign of Western medicine. So next, Metatron points out that it is the medical professionals. He actually points the finger at two parties here. He points the finger at the doctors and the hospitals and the insurance companies that our current system is benefiting. And he says this, quote, your civilization is in its infancy. The elementary medical knowledge and symptoms have been so institutionalized that little attention is paid to integrated medicine. The medical community has profited from specialization, which is the separation of one branch of medicine from another. 
and it has produced medical elitists. And then he goes on to say, why does the medical community deny integrating medicine? Because they profit when each can prescribe a pill for the body. The pharmaceutical company profits, the physician profits, the insurance profits. The only one who doesn't profit is the patient because his body is host to many ill side effects. And then he goes on and he says very strongly, this is a travesty. The ones blocking this knowledge are physicians themselves. Ironic, isn't it, that the same doctors who have taken the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. And so coming from Metatron, who is a very compassionate archangel, uh, this is a strong rebuke. And so, Claudia, I wonder uh, what your thoughts are on this. Uh, do you think our system of medicine that prescribes a pill for everything could be improved? Well, it has a lot of areas to, to improve for sure. And, yeah, I, I do work in the medical area, and I have heard of people having to have medication like chemo medication and life-threatening medication, and they are having to pay like $15,000 for medication that no one can afford. And, you know, the copayment is so high that people have to ask for for help with other non-profit organizations. But just to think that one pill or two can cost you a thousand dollars or more if it's out of this mind it's like even if they don't need to have so much profit like the the pharmaceutical companies have, have the profit they get for medication is such that it's outside of any parameter of of decency, in my opinion, is that of course they need to improve, and, and there's, they have to. Now, when you, when you are going through an expansion of consciousness that what we are doing, we are supposed to get wiser, and I would, I would, I wonder if that is possible, Nina, if it's, if it's really those people that have the power of uh, doing decisions, are they also getting this openness in their consciousness so they can change that? Or is it only on the spiritual community or, or certain people that are getting this influx of consciousness? I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, I was involved um, directly with uh you know, patient care uh, is a psychotherapist and, uh, and, and insurances and whatnot, uh, you know, for a very long time. Um, and it does seem that, as Metatron is saying, that, that it is oriented towards not so much the patient as it is oriented towards profit, as you mentioned. Um, you know, um, and, and I think there's a lot of room in our Western system for a more integrated approach. And I, I don't know that we're going to see that happen in, in certainly in my lifetime because this system that they've come up with is very uh, entrenched. Um, you know, it's been going on since the 1960s is managed care. Uh, the beginning of managed care came in in the 60s. Uh, uh, prior to the 60s and the 1950s, if you were a medical provider, um, you had a fee-for-service practice, which means there was no insurance involved. And at that point, you know, it was kind of like going to the store, to a mom-and-pop store and, and getting taken care of. You know, you were all neighbors at that point. And so, you know, the dentist uh, didn't have to worry about how much the insurance wanted to, to pay him or her. Um, and so he would charge his neighbor a reasonable amount. And so it really wasn't until the 60s when managed care came in that the whole scene changed, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, Metatron says 
he always leaves us with hope and encouragement. And so he says this, quote, those coming after you have the potential to unlock secrets for the good of humanity. And he describes universities and the future that will be teaching mind-body integrated medicine, where both the brain and the body will be holistically treated. And uh, he also predicts that neurology, so neurology, ology means study of, and neuro uh, means neurons or brain cells. So neurology is the study of the brain. Uh, He says that neurology will be unlocking the human brain's capabilities in the future. And, you know, uh, Claudia, maybe you've heard people say that only a small portion of our brain is being used right now uh, because neurology is a new science or newer science. Um, The first brain experiments didn't begin until 1959 to 1969. So I was born in 1964. So that means the first brain experiments hadn't even finished uh, until I was four years old. So talk about new. Neurology is a really new science. So the brain is the next frontier. Metatron says, forget about space. Forget about it. He says, (laughs) there are secrets to be unlocked in the brain. So... Uh, I'm going to, also while we're on this topic, I'm going to give you science's answer about how much of the brain we use because that's a a fable, right, that we only use 10% of the brain. I've heard people repeat that. So the brain's most complex, is the most complex component of our body. Uh, It's only about three pounds in weight, uh, but it has 100 billion, not million, billion neurons or brain cells that uh, carry information. So uh, in a magazine called Scientific American, which is a very uh, established uh, neurology magazine, they debunk this myth that only that we only use 10% of our brain. Uh, the fact is that we use all of our brain, all of the areas work together. So even when we're asleep, our brains are working. So how do we know how much of the brain, though, that we use? And we can know this because we have something called brain scans. Scans, right? You probably had one. A PET scan or fMRI can measure activity in the brain. So if you've ever seen a brain scan, parts of the brain will light up as those parts are being used. And so we know that we do, in fact, use all of the areas of the brain. So let's debunk that 10% myth right now, okay? And having said that, uh, let's think about the genius brain versus the normal brain, okay? Hang in there because I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, Einstein's brain was studied. Einstein, post-mortem, means after he died. And his brain was lighter than the average three pounds. So brain size does not equal intelligence. I mean, there are big dogs with big brains who are really dumb dogs. And then there are little dogs with little brains who are smart. So that's another myth. However, Einstein's brain was larger than the average person in the areas of the brain that produce mathematical and spatial thought. So we know that brain shape, brain shape, not weight, is a reflection of how the brain is used. So developing a skill over time causes enlargement and strengthening of the brain. And so here's my hypothesis. Here's my educated guess about the brain. I guess that if we could find a way to learn more, to store more information, to uh, synthesize or learn more, that those areas of the brain would be enlarged and be strengthened. And that would cause an increase in human intelligence. But because neurology is in its infancy, it's not even as old as I am, 
that scientists have only scratched the surface of how human intelligence could be improved. So the short answer is, from neurology, is we'll get back to you. Because there's more about the brain that we don't know than what we do know. I'll say that. Okay, so now that I've been a science professor for a moment, <laughs> let's move on to some more esoteric concepts about healing. And I'm posing this question to you, Claudia, since uh, I've got a captive audience in you, poor Claudia. I'm always <laughs> asking her hard questions. So here's a question for you. Are miracles real? Have they happened in the past? And can they happen today? You know, that is it. I believe, I believe with no certainty, because I'm not sure, I believe they can happen. Now, are miracles something outside of our power, or are miracles something that we create that I do not know? And uh, can we expect miracles? That's the funny thing, is that whenever these miracles happen, it seems that they happen without our doing. But when I see, like in in the Bible, let's go to the Bible, that's where most miracles are referred to. Every time that there was a miracle done, it was because the person, Jesus, commanded them, and then the miracle was done. So there was some directiveness of that person or Jesus for the miracle. When we hear of someone that all of a sudden is sick, and then they get healed, that's what we consider a miracle. So I don't know. I really don't know if they are real or if there's, if there's something that we that just happens and we call it a miracle. I don't know if they were meant to be. Like maybe every breath of our of that we do is a miracle. It's a miracle that we're alive nowadays. So so I don't know what what have you come up with. Yes, you've got some good points and good questions. Um, first, I, I think we should define uh, a miracle uh, because we all need to be on the same page about what we're talking about. So my definition of a miracle comes from uh, Metatron's definition, which is he says it's a, quote, collapse in time, a collapse in time. So the normal time it should take for healing is shortened. Uh, with no scientific explanation. Okay, so I think we've we've all heard stories, you know, uh, like this, of unexplained miracles. Uh, the church, you mentioned the church, certainly believes in miracles because Christ was reported to have miraculously healed in the Bible. Also, uh, ancient historians like Josephus reported witnessing Christ's healing power. So, in fact, uh, one of the requirements for sainthood in the church is the working of miracles. In order to be a saint, you have to do a certain number of miracles. Um, So we know that Christian church and Catholicism are big believers in miracles. Christ reportedly healed. Many Christian saints reportedly had healing powers. Uh, Let's look at some other religions, though, and see, is there any other religions that believe in miracles? Actually, the Hindu gods and saints uh, had what they call cities or supernatural healing powers. Uh, The Buddhists believe that the Buddha Uh, Gautama, the Buddha, healed people. And Zen masters are said to have healed people. So it's in every religion. 
there have been healers throughout history. Uh, even I think of the Japanese uh, Christian monk who was the founder of Yusui Reiki, which I'm a Reiki master, so I'm aware of him. Uh, he healed. But have there been modern healers? And if so, most importantly, have their miracles been verified medically by licensed physicians? So let's look at this question for a minute. And why is it important to even be asking this question? Because if there have been modern-day healers, then that means it is possible. It would mean that miracles do exist and that the mind or body can heal at a supernatural rate in certain cases. And if that's true, if, if that's true, then how do we access this healing for ourselves? Or can we? Or is it just like you were saying, Claudia, is it just random being at the right place at the right time? So I know of two Christian contemporary healers, uh, most famous in, in Christian evangelical circles. Uh, Catholics might not know these names. They might. Uh, but I was raised in the Christian church, so I was familiar with uh, their ministry. So the first was a woman preacher that I'd like to tell you a little bit about. Her name was Catherine Coleman. And she came from a little tiny town in the south, uh, from Concordia, Missouri. She called it Missouri instead of Missouri. And I've studied Miss Coleman's life in great detail. I've read every book she's written. Uh, I watched her broadcasts on YouTube. I've listened to her radio shows. In fact, I know so much about her that I could almost write a book about her, and maybe someday I will. So I've studied her in such great detail because, well, I was fascinated with her. She was a very dynamic woman. Um, She wore long, white, flowing dresses that looked like Victorian dresses, and uh, she was tall and lanky and dramatic, um, and she had a dazzling smile. And like the Hindu gurus, her eyes were always turned toward the sky. She would look up, and it seemed to me like she could tune out the audience, and there would be, you know, 10,000 people in her audiences, and she would talk like a child talks to a parent, to her beloved Jesus, and she seemed otherworldly to me. I mean, she was just larger than life, and whatever Catherine had, I wanted some of that, and I still want some of this, so I won't bore you, but... I hope you'll let me tell you a little bit about um, why I was so enthralled with her and her healing services, which packed out huge coliseums and, you know, that spilled over into the parking lot. People from all over the world would come by train, car, in buses, from churches, every kind of person with every kind of sickness, blind people, deaf people, uh, people in wheelchairs, people walking with canes. So her ministry lasted five decades from the 1940s to the 1970s. And newspapers called her a charlatan. Of course they did. But because that's big news, right? But while there were head uh, healings that occurred in her meetings that could not be medically verified, there were just as many that were medically verified. In fact, her organization used to ask people who claimed that they had been healed to go to their doctors and to get checked out and to let their doctors decide whether they had been healed or not. So I'm a bit of a skeptic uh, when it comes to paranormal things like this. Uh, You might not think I am, but I actually am a woman of science. And because at one time in the 1800s and 1900s, Seances uh, were big, and oftentimes you might have heard that the psychic was later found to have perpetrated a hoax during these seances. 
However, modern science does admit at this point that there are a small percentage of people who have extrasensory perception, ESP, or psychic abilities that they somehow get information that seems to come without prior knowledge of the subject that they're reading. And there are even academic institutions who study psychic phenomenon. But when it comes to Ms. Coleman's healings, a great deal of them were medically verified and to this day have not been debunked. So there's another Christian evangelist named Benny Hinn, that you might have heard that name, who claims to have received Catherine Coleman's, he called it the anointing. He claims uh, that he was given her power to heal after she passed away. And I was very interested in this because I was interested in Miss Coleman. And so, but, you know, she passed away before I could go to one of her services. And so I went to one of Benny Hinn's healing services at a big coliseum in Portland, Oregon. And I can tell you that I witnessed things there that I cannot explain. Things that looked impossible to me, but that with my own eyes I saw happen. Lots of feeling, but the thing that sticks with me to this day was that before he called people on stage to be healed, he was, uh, the whole place was singing Christian hymns. It was very beautiful to sing with, you know, 10,000 people, these uh, hymns. And during a hymn, he took his arm and he made this gesture, like a sweeping gesture, you know, real big sweeping gesture. And he waved his arm toward a section in the balcony across from where I sat. And I watched those people, several hundred people, not just a couple people, several hundred people, Right where he gestured, they all knocked into each other like bowling pins, and they all went down, hundreds of people. And it was like a big wave came and knocked them all down, and he just started laughing. And the whole place, like, gasped. Um, Fortunately, nobody was hurt. The people got up laughing, and everybody dusted themselves off and sat back down. But I was frozen. I could not figure out how he did that. I was watching hundreds of people being swept off their feet slightly into the air, about six inches into the air. I watched this knock into each other like dominoes and then fall down. And I went away from that place, that service, thinking no magician on earth has a trick that can sweep hundreds of people off their feet like that. I'm telling you, folks, what I saw happen, there was no explanation for it. So at that point, seeing is believing, right? So I began to believe that there are some people who have been given uh, what the Bible calls a gift to heal people, the healing gift. And from there, I began to dig and research into why. Why do some people have these, what the Hindus call cities, these supernatural powers? There are Hindu meditation masters who can do all sorts of impossible things, like they can stop eating, they can stop their breathing, they can levitate, many different supernatural abilities. Claudia. Have you ever heard of people who are modern-day healers? Do you know of any? Because I was thinking, you know, you're the uh, manager of the station. Maybe there have been people that have been on your radio shows uh, that claim to be modern-day healers. Well, all of them. You know, it's a a funny thing, even doing that, and all of it, I was just thinking on, it is about then about the science, right? Like to be considered a modern day healer to us, we are putting a stigma or a label that you have to do things big to be noticed. But I'm thinking of 
everyone that I that comes to the show who are healers who have healed maybe just one person, but no one knows about that because it's mm-hmm. just a, a tiny person in a tiny place that nobody knows. But for that person, you are the one that sees the miracle, and you do not believe that about yourself at all. Isn't that true? Is that you have used your, I, like, I'm a healer too, and I have seen myself doing things that I cannot explain on my own, that the other person has reported back to me, and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And, and I'm sure that all healers everywhere, and many are more talking out, we question ourselves. We are like struck with awe of what is it that we can do and doubting that it is a miracle ourselves. So, mm-hmm. so, so that's the thing is that I always ask, okay, so when is it that you are a saint? Or when is it that you are a prophet? Or when is it that you are considered a miracle worker or someone outside of the norm? And to me, it seems like it's when someone else discovers you and puts that label on you, and then you, for some reason, became famous or became known as that. But how many artists, beautiful artists, have never been discovered and will never be? How many healers are never discovered or have the eat factor? And yet, are healers or artists or are someone that has the gift, but nobody knows? So what, what makes a miracle miracle? What makes a healer a healer? Is it only when you are known and famous and on the TV, or is it not? And when it's not, and you're this little tiny person doing this big thing, you don't see yourself as that. You don't believe yourself as a healer, a miracle, or an artist, because you have not been labeled. So my question is, are we so wrong in the perception that we have of ourselves of others. Yeah, that's uh, a really good salient point that you're making, that there might be miracles happening all around us <laughs> and miracles happening through us. Um, yeah. It's just that we don't have a platform. We don't have the stage that these people have. Um so I want to ask you, Claudia, since, you know, this is your area of, of specialty is, is healing, what do we need to do, do you think, to get in on some of that? Or is it that you have to be, like, in the right place at the right time? What do you think? How do we, how do we receive healing? How do we receive the healing? Yeah. You know, I have thought of that because when it comes to my own healing, I am presented with this, this with the problem that usually I feel, I have a lot, all of these beliefs about uh, healing and illnesses and everything, but when I have a symptom myself, all of that gets out of the window, and I, and then fear becomes me, and then I, you know, everything that I we could talk about here and say, okay, so um, it is in your mind. You have the power to heal yourself. You have all the tools that you need. But when it happens to me personally, and when I have had little things happening, and I and I get stroke by fear which I don't have any other explanation, is I stop believing in who I am and what I can do. And then I start 
looking somewhere else to find the answers for that. And it's until time or something happens where that symptom resides. And I don't know what happens, Nina, and I would love to know what happens. And sometimes maybe it's just when I go back into peace or harmony. And, and then I started getting more into, okay, okay, now I can handle this. This is, now I can continue with me because now I, I get it. But it's in those moments, and I hate when that happens to me, those moments where I should know that I don't, and I fear, and I become a little girl crying for my mother, that I wish I had the answers. And I don't, and, and probably that's life, and I don't know, but I, I hate it when that happens. I don't know if that happens to you. You know, I, what I hear you say, Claudia, is uh, you probably heard this quote before, physician, heal thyself. Mm-hmm. So I hear you saying that a lot of times we could use that inner resource, that inner power that we have. But we forget, don't we? Because we're just human beings and illness is a tough thing for a human being. And then, you know, when we're in that bind, we just forget. We forget how powerful we are. You know, I can only offer you the answer that Miss Coleman gave when the newspapers asked why. You know, they asked her, why can you heal? What's the secret? Why are, you know, thousands of people being healed at these meetings? What's going on? And ever humble and not wanting to take any of what she called the glory, she would only say that it was her devotion for her Jesus that forged that healing power. And she would always say, she would say, I'm just a water carrier for the Lord And in those days, this is back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, in those days on football teams, uh, maybe you know, there was a water boy who carried a bucket of water out to the field for the players to get a drink from before. This is before Gatorade. (laughs) So she'd say, "I'm, I'm nothing. I have no power. And I've seen films of her pacing, almost wringing her hands, and praying before she stepped out onto these huge stages, saying, Lord, you've got to heal these people. I am nothing. I have no power. Catherine Coleman has nothing to offer. But you, you can help these needy people. I beg you. I beg you. Use me. Just a water carrier, but use me. And you know, Claudia, I've come to the conclusion about why Ms. Coleman was given the gift of healing, as the Bible calls it. Um, and I'm going sh- to share that secret with you through a story she told. She told of a turning point in her life. And I believe in this story is hidden the key, the key to healing power. And she told of a time when she married an evangelist. Before, this is when her ministry was just starting to get going and she'd fallen in love with an itinerant minister and she didn't want to become an old maid. She was scared of that. She wanted what most women of that age wanted, which was children and a family. I mean, you can't blame her. And this evangelist, he wanted the spotlight. He wanted to be center stage because he was a man. And there were not women preachers in the 1940s. <laughs> no way. In the South? In the South? So she was the first. She was the first woman preacher. And to be the first, she endured a lot, a lot of put-downs and humiliation from male pastors. And the first time she preached, nobody, not a single church, would take a chance on her. So she found a church that had been boarded up 
in a little tiny town in Missouri, and she had her first miracle service in the boarded-up church. And that night, she slept in a neighbor's chicken coop because nobody would entertain a woman preacher. So she paid her dues. But her husband wanted her to take a back seat to him. And in her heart, she knew what her calling was. She knew. She could feel it pulling her. And, you know, there are things in this life, and I know I'm talking to people right now, that are going to pull you towards it. And nothing you can do will shape that calling. You can try everything to get out of it, but it's never going away. And so she says she took a long walk one day, wrestling with the calling and a husband that she loved, but who wanted her to play second fiddle. And she's walking in this town that they're in for a miracle service, and she gets lost. And the more she walks, the more lost she gets. And she's walking and walking, and it seemed like the further she walked, the more disoriented she became. And finally, she found herself walking down a long street until finally she came to the end of the road. There was nowhere else to go, and there was a sign there that said, Wrong Way. (laughs) And she said, In that moment, She broke down and wept because she understood that she'd been going the wrong way, following her husband instead of following the calling on her life to be a healer. And the rest is history. She divorced her husband, which also didn't happen back then, um, so that she could focus completely and totally on, you know, what it asked of her to be a healer. And um, there was a reporter one time that asked her, said, Miss Coleman, what do you think it takes to be a healer? And she looked him dead in the eye and with the most serious face I'd ever seen on her, she said, it will cost you everything. Absolutely everything. And so if you want healing or if you want to be a healer, it will cost you something. And I believe that something is surrender. Just surrender. Surrender to that higher power. What are your thoughts, Claudia, on this? Yeah, and yeah, the, the story makes sense. First is, it is a calling. So when you talk about a calling and, and healing or a calling and doing whatever that you're doing, I believe that we are doing whatever we're doing because that's the answer to our each individual calling. And the people that we've become famous or known for, they are famous and known for. And the people that are less famous and known for, that's also your calling. And it's not, there's no one that is in the right position or the wrong position. As long as you answer your calling and If you are called to be a psychic or a healer or someone that performs miracles, one part of you would like to be just normal and not be on the spotlight. But it's something of you surrender to that call inside of you that it will come through and that that you are right. Do you want to see what... 
where someone has a question? Yes, please. Okay, so let's go with A50491. Welcome to see you. Can I have your first name and where are you calling us from? It's Michelle, and I'm calling from Florida. Hi, Michelle from Florida. So do you have a comment or question about the topic? Um, well, I was wanting to ask, my son's getting married in October the 1st, and I feel like he's making a mistake, and I don't know how to get him to open up. I think he was trying to open up to me. She's very controlling and spends money like crazy, and and I can't even hardly talk to him because she's always on the other line, and I feel like he's making a mistake, but I don't know. Do you see them? Uh lasting i mean she's on medicine now to help with the bipolarness but i don't know you know i feel like she's trying to seclude us from his family and i know it's not in my heart and i know it's that's what she's doing i just know it you know and it's like why you know and my son's really good to her well this is uh, from one mother to another this has got to be really hard for you um it because is it's hard to stand back and watch our kids take these big steps in their lives and know that, um, you know, they might be falling down into a hole. So um, I guess I just, you know, I'm a life coach, and my first instinct is just not, not even to um, read for you, but just to tell you as a mother and as a life coach, um, you know, to sympathize with you and then also to say, that your son is a soul just as you are a soul and all of these souls come to earth to learn lessons that's why we're here we're here to learn whatever life lesson we need to learn or lessons we need to learn and your son uh, is a soul and he's here to learn life lessons and so these decisions that he's making right now are going to be life-changing certainly whether it works out or it doesn't feel, work out, it's, it's life changing. I feel like he, I feel like he knows he's making a mistake. The more that he he sees, but I think he's going to go through with it because he's hoping that she'll change. But I don't mm-hmm. see her changing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what you can do certainly as a mother is uh, pray. <laughs> you know, I believe that um, I do believe that that works. Uh, So I would do that. And then also, you know, just, just if this is what's going to happen, okay, rather than there be friction, because it seems like it seems we really don't know, do we? We really don't know what's going to happen down the road. She might change, right? She might improve for the better. We don't know. Or she might, it might be the opposite. So, but to reduce friction between you and her and your son is, you know, just ask that your higher power, your angels, would minister to you as well and change your heart. And I'm not saying that your heart is bad or wrong. It's just a mother's heart. It's just a mother that's worried, and probably rightly so. But to ask that your heart would be changed so that it's full of love for these two Uh, young people and so that you're showing nothing but love and I know that I'm what I'm asking is a really tall order (laughs) right and that'll have to happen um, over a period of time that's not something that instantaneously can happen unless of course it's a miracle as we've been talking about a collapse in time happens Um, but it's important that you have the right attitude towards them Because if you have the right attitude towards both of them, they're more inclined to listen to you. They're more inclined to be open and to listen to mom when you have that open heart towards both of them. So that's the the main thing, I guess, that comes to mind for you is to absolutely work on your own attitude and change that attitude so that it's a positive thing going towards them, and you're sending them all the positive energy that you possibly can. And, you know, when you do that, they will feel it. They will feel a shift. You might even have your son come to you uh, or your daughter-in-law come to you and say, 
wow, you know, you have become such an encouragement. You've become such a strength for us. So I want to ask that that be the first thing you do is because what do we have power to change? We don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have power to change the situation, do you? If your son, if he's Uh an adult, if he wants to get married, he's going to get married. There's nothing you can do to stop that if he's an adult. Um, but what I think you can hope change, change is your own heart. That's what I'm saying. You see what I, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and whether or not she changes is going to be up to her and her decisions. I don't even think, you know, had I asked Metatron this question, I don't think he could have answered it because guess why? It's going to be up to her. Right? How how yeah. she deals with all of the stress and pressure of marriage and all this is going to be completely up to her. She could go right or she could go left. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. And I guess that's the scary part. Okay? So they, so recognize that the only person here in this situation you can change is yourself and work on changing that. Okay. Okay, love. Thank you. Uh-huh, thank you. And, and you know, Nina, one time I was having an issue with a person, and instead of talking to that person uh, physically, a good exercise that I would encourage Michelle to do is going to a quiet meditation, and then from that space of quietness, have a conversation with your son and with your daughter or future daughter-in-law, and start playing each one of the characters yourself. Meaning, I would ask Michelle, I would ask the future daughter-in-law, saying, are you sure you want to get married? That's it. And then as the mother, I would then go to the role of the daughter-in-law and tell her what she needs. And when I did that, it helped me to put myself in other people's shoes and then find the answer that each one of those characters needed inside of me to find the resolution I needed. And just like you said, Nina, go to that place of loving space because at the end, what you want as a mother is your son to come back to you whenever he needs that space with you and not and run away from you. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's like the old saying, uh, you gather more flies with uh, honey than you do vinegar. <laughs> so we are reaching the end of today's show. It went so fast, uh, Nina. It, and so we were talking about illness and healing and the possibility of miracles and also, we were confronted on what is it, what is a miracle to you, and what is it that we see, what we understand by those terms. And 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 I love that Metatron tells us that there is a future, that things are going to become easier. Now, I would love a miracle to comprise that time, and that that future is tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this book really does give me a tremendous amount of hope. Uh, when I um, channeled it and, you know, when I read it, it again, it just um, is filled with hope for the future. It really is. And I think that the archangels and angels see us with hope. Um, that's why they're such positive beings, because they just see the best in us. Um, and I think the best is yet to come. So before we say goodbye, I want to thank everybody who attended our study group and uh, invite you back on Friday next month, October 21st at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time for the topic of happiness, happiness and original souls. So if you'd like to see other angel books I've written in this Archangel series, you can go to Amazon.com and search for me, Nina Bingham. And thank you, my friends, and um, 
you know, may you be in good health. And, uh, yeah, and you can find my books and broadcasts on my blog as well. And that's at www.ninabingham.blogspot.com. And thank you again, Nina, for that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you back in one month. Bye-bye.